privilege this morning to open up the Word of God with you all, and I invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We continue our series on 1 John on what is our certainty as Christians? What is our hope? Uh, and do we know that we have eternal life? That is why John writes this epistle to churches in the area of Ephesus because they're asking this question. They're getting tested and, and they have doubts and concerns because a great number of them are departing the faith, walking away and saying that Jesus is not God in the flesh, that he is merely uh, a, a person who is then uh, covered with the spirit of Christ, kind of a, a, a ghost-like apparition hovering over him. And, and John writes, says, full stop to that. That is a lie. There is one God. There's one mediator. God is light, and we have seen the light. And I'm writing to remind you that you can have certainty in this. I'm so grateful this morning that, that you chose to spend Mother's Day with us. You could be out having brunch on the beach right now, but you chose to be with God's people, hearing the word and seeking to grow in your faith. And that, that encourages me so much. I pray that this will be a beneficial time for you. You know, mothers, you know, as I said before, that you play an important role in helping children grow up in that next stage, right? You start teaching them the ABCs and the one, two, threes and the colors and the shapes with the hope and the prayer that they will take those things, learn from them, build off of them, and one day be a fully uh, mature adult that can step out of the home and make their way in this world and make a, a positive difference, Lord willing, for God. And this morning, we are also going to look at the ABCs of our Christian faith, and yet we're not moving on from them. We're not so mature in our faith that we don't need the gospel anymore. Actually, maturity in our Christian walk means we go deeper into those basic beliefs that we hold. Look closely at the gift that God has given. And that's where we find ourselves in 1 John 2. You'll say, wait, he kind of already talked about these things in the first chapter. That's true, but he's going deeper in. He's showing us, how did we get this fellowship with God? How, did, how was it secured? Who made it possible? And we're going to have those questions answered, and it's going to show Christ in a light that's just so beautiful and magnificent. I was going to try to cover six verses this morning, and in the course of the study, there's just so much rich and deep truth in the first two verses. I had to trim it up, and thanks to the wise counsel of my life, don't bite off more than you could chew. And I could spend a whole series on the first two verses. So that's where we're going to go. i got to know my limits here. So join me in reading those first two verses. I believe they are up on the screen if you need them. John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. My dear children, what a loving and gracious tone that John writes with. You can tell he is a pastor's heart, almost like he, he, he views them as his, his children in the faith. Of course, we know that Believers are children of God and not children of any one person spiritually, but, but John takes ownership for their faith. And, and I love that's why this letter is written, because he actually cares about their fears and their doubts. And shouldn't we also, Pastor Dennis, care for our flock? Do we care if they have doubts and fears or where the flock is, how they're doing? 
we see it just come out of John's pen. My little children. Here's what I'm writing. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. So there's a relationship established in the family of God. We know that for those of, uh, of us who, whose faith is in Christ, that God is our Father, our Heavenly Father, the one primary relationship above all others. And yet there's a reality of this thing called sin. You see that in verse 1, don't you? I'm writing that you may not sin. Sin is a real thing. And it's a very real problem. But first, let's define it. What is sin? Sin is anything that we say, think, or do that is contrary to God's will. Anything we say, think, or do that is contrary to God's will. And you'll see that all throughout the pages of Scripture. What's on our mind matters to God. What's on our heart matters to God. What we say matters to God. What we do, what we do with our hands, what we do with our feet, every part of our body matters to God. Because sin invades every part of our being and our lives, and sin is destructive. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We were made for glory, church. We were made to know and enjoy God forever, to walk in his presence, and there would be no dimming, there would be no dimmer switch, there would be no lessening of God's glory for all of eternity, and we would reflect that glory. We would walk in the light as he is in the light, right? Is that what John said in chapter 1? God is light. We'd love to walk in the light for all of eternity. But there's a problem. We're in the darkness because we have sinned. And because the first man and woman sinned, Adam and Eve, and disobeyed God and went their own way, they broke the cosmos. Now, sin has invaded creation and every human being born after that. So we were born in sin. But if you and I are honest, we're also going to say, well, I choose to sin as well. So I can't just blame my forefathers or my parents. Sin creeps into every generation. And it's destructive. It's wrecked our relationship with God. Romans 6.23 tells us that there is a cost for this. The wages of sin is death for all of eternity. People will die and spend eternity apart from God in punishment, in the lake of fire, because of our sin. Because God is what? Light. And he has no fellowship with the darkness. Not even a little bit. Now, the false teachers that John's writing about and he's concerned about, they're minimizing the sin, right? And, and they say, well, hey, once we found this secret knowledge, once we got this, this uh, special teaching, now we don't sin anymore. Well, John says, nope. I'm writing so that you may not sin, but guess what? You're going to sin. And if anyone sins... We have some hope for that, but, but you can't skip past the ugly, terrible, honest truth that we are all sinners. And I'll hold up my hand, I'll hold up both my hands. I'm the biggest sinner in this room. I was born in sin, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would continue in sin for forever. I had an interesting conversation the other day with a man at Panera, and he's there all the time. He wears a Yankees hat. He's got a nice smile. He rides his bike around. He's a friendly guy. And I talk to him a little bit. He sees all my Bible materials out of the tables. I'm preparing the message. And I, I start to talk to him about the Lord. And he says, oh, 
That, that's not for me. Yeah, I can tell you're a good boy, but I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad boy. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do God. I don't do Jesus. Well, we're all bad boys. I'm not a good boy. There's only one who is good, and that is God. We are all bad. We are all sinners. We all make mistakes, and we have all angered a holy God. Christians understand that this is what the Bible teaches. We have all sinned. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one righteous one. So as we reflect on the reality of sin, and personally, the reality of my sin, this week, when you have a conversation with someone about Jesus, and I hope and pray that you will, make sure you let them know that you are messed up too, that you have sinned and fallen short. I think sometimes people who are in the darkness, they think, oh, I can never come into the light because you have to be a good person to be in the light. And the church has to speak the whole gospel that I once was dead in my sins. I was dark in my soul. I can't judge you because I deserve judging. I was shown mercy and there's mercy for you too. And here it is. Point number two, John tells us Jesus is our advocate. So there's reality of sin. That's a big problem. It's wrecked our relationship with God. Number two, Jesus is our advocate. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's what separates the believer from the unbeliever. It's not the absence of sin in my life. Oh, now I don't sin anymore. I'm a holy Christian. No, I have a helper. That's what that word advocate means. If you were to, to transliterate the Greek, parakletos, it's the same term used for the Holy Spirit. So what's John getting at here? Why does he use this term? He's using it to show in our distress, in our darkness, the fact that we had a broken fellowship with God, we had someone step up to help and to mediate, to come in the middle. And for the believer, this is a present reality. We have, right now, as of this moment, no matter what mistakes I've made this past week or today, or even as I reflect on my life, and there's so many things I'm ashamed of, and they just come back to my mind and they, and they haunt me a little bit almost. Like, can God really love me and forgive me for all this? We have, right now, a mediator. Actively interceding for us. Now, in my flesh, what I would try to do is I would try to argue in my own defense. I try to just help myself or, or talk about how good I am. Paul David Trent calls that our inner lawyer. I'm really good at arguing how good I am. And I just love it on, on social media and on the news when people say, how dare you for something that this politician did or, or this public figure said. And then they just respond to them, how dare you? How dare you? And it just keeps on going like, okay, this is, we're all just talking in the vacuum here. We're all trying to argue for ourselves. And, and I want to draw out the fact here that John is giving us a picture of a heavenly courtroom when he uses these terms. Now, that's not immediately clear in this context. He doesn't use the word courtroom. He doesn't talk about a, uh, a judge necessarily sitting. But as you look through the body of John's writings, you'll see it come clearly to the forefront. Like in John chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. 
And John makes sure we note that he says we are condemned by God for our sin. That word condemned is a legal term. Guilty. We are guilty before God because of our sin. Judgment has already been passed. Yes, there will be a judgment in the future when Christ returns and judges the living and the dead. And the wicked and the righteous will be separated. But judgment has already been passed that we will be condemned for our sin if we don't have a mediator coming and help. John 3.36 says that those who remain in unbelief have God's wrath remaining on them. So it's not like a coin flip at the end of time. Will I be good enough to get in heaven? Will I not? No, God's wrath is already on us. Holy God is angry and will punish our sin forever. John chapter 5, verses 27 and 29 say that as well. There's eternal condemnation. So picture this courtroom with me, and, and I think this, this room is a great, great example, right? We have, we have the judge up here, the holy judge, God Almighty, and us. We are the wicked. We are the sinners. We are guilty, and we have no defense. We're busted. He's seen everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. He made us. It, it's like, you know, if you were to put the security camera footage up here, he knows our whole life from beginning to end. We have no defense. We're silent in the face of a holy judge. So who are you going to call to help you when your need is so great? It's not going to be Ghostbusters, right? Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. We should call on the name of Jesus the Christ. Because Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, as Lacey read earlier, that everyone who calls on his name will be what? Saved. Call on him. He comes in. He stands in the gap in our defense. Arguing the case. And here's the great news. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son. It's a free gift because you, you can't pay for, for Jesus' time. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we're guilty. We deserve eternal death, but God has given us a gift so that those who believe will have eternal life. Jesus is the key. And we know from what Jesus did that he gave up his life. His body was broken. And he took the pain of separation from God on the cross so we could have fellowship. That's the key, right? How was fellowship secured? Jesus was broken so we could be restored. He was the sacrifice in our place because we were guilty. And a just God demands satisfaction. This debt has to be paid. Last night we were hanging out with some friends and, and, and one of our friends said, I don't trust lawyers at all. I mean, it just flowed out of this conversation. He doesn't trust doctors and he doesn't trust lawyers. I think you got to trust doctors a little bit. But, but in his opinion, and a lot of people think this way, I don't trust lawyers. They're just in it for the money, right? Legal representation. You see those billboards everywhere. Injured, call us. We're going to give you millions of dollars. You know, we're going to sue the pants off the big companies. So how, sh how should we know we should trust Jesus? How do we know he's trustworthy, that we should call on him? 
and he doesn't have ulterior motives because he's Jesus Christ, the righteous. He has the credibility and character that is impeccable. He's the perfect helper. In fact, he is the standard of righteousness. All the laws that we broke, all the sin we have against God, Jesus stands as a shining example of what we should have done. Perfect humanity. That's him. God in human flesh. And he did everything right. And as I said before, he died for our sins. Then he rose from the dead to show he has power over the curse, the grave, our sin, the world, everything. And he ascended back to heaven and he's on the throne at the right hand of God. Right now, he's seated, making intercession for us, interceding, mediating for the believer, speaking in our defense. So anytime that we sin, anytime that someone accuses us of sin, anytime that our heart is convicted of sin or has guilt or shame about the past, Jesus is actively saying, I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for that. And because he's righteous, nothing's getting through the cracks. You and I aren't going to die and one day wake up and say, oh man, there's that one sin I didn't ask forgiveness for, I didn't even know about, and now I'm not going to heaven. No, Jesus covered that too. Even the ones we don't know about, he does not miss a thing. Now, a false Christianity and a false gospel, which John is writing against, is perfectionism. That either I have to be perfect to get God's favor, or now that I'm saved, now I'm perfect, and now I just do everything right, and, and you know, look at me. Look at how holy I am. You know what that does? That slams the door of heaven in people's faces. Because they say, I can't be perfect. I know it. But those Christians over there, they look like they have it all together. They look like they're perfect, so... Well, they're, they're the good people. I guess I'm the bad people. That's not the gospel. And that's why Jesus got so furious with the religious leaders of Israel. Because they acted like they had achieved perfection. Lord, thank God I'm not like that sinner over there. No. That's keeping people out from the open door that God has given them in Jesus. So the good news is that in Christ, we are covered. We have an advocate. Satan accuses us. The world accuses us. Our personal enemies accuse us. Our own heart accuses us. But take heart, church. We don't have to defend ourselves anymore. Jesus is on the case, and he advocates for us. But we like to put on our social media posts, we are for Sarasota. We are for Bradenton. We are for you. And Jesus has advocated for Sarasota, Brayton, and all of us long before we were on the scene. That's why he is the worthy one. We worship him. And here's what Charles Spurgeon had to say about slander. When Satan slanders us or, or when others slander us. When we are slandered, it is a joy that the Lord knows us, really knows us, and cannot be made to doubt our uprightness. In other words, our righteousness in Christ. He will not hear the lie against us. But he will hear our prayer against the lie. Let's think in. All the accusations against us, God does not hear because of Jesus. But he does hear our prayer 
God, help me endure these false accusations, to endure the guilt and the shame and, and put that away. He will hear that. So mothers, it's okay to struggle here. Men, it's okay to struggle here. Ladies, kids, you can be open and honest when you come through those doors or when you give us a call or when you come to our home, you can be your real true self. You're going to struggle. If you sin, you have an advocate. And I'm sad to say that today there's women around the country protesting about abortion, fighting for rights, for what to do with their body. And to insist on that right means to take the lives of innocent children who have no choice. They have no rights. Their rights are taken away. But the gospel calls us to be completely different in our way of living. Because we've been given a Savior who fights for us, and he calls us to advocate for others. The poor, the needy, the sick, the dying, the helpless. To go and be a light to them as Jesus was a light to us. Living Hope Church, the gospel is for everyone. Justice is for everyone. Mercy is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And that's John's third and final point here. Look at Jesus. Jesus brings reconciliation. Verse 2. Look at that verse. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So propitiation, that's a big word, right? Don't, don't try to say that five times fast. Okay, you'll need to take a nap afterwards. But it comes from the Greek, hilasmus, which could mean one of two things. Propitiation, which is actually a, a translation of the word. They're, they're trying to get at the heart of what the word means. Or it could mean expiation, another big word, right? In other words, here's the layman's terms. Does this refer to our forgiveness for our sin? It's covered. Or does it mean that God's wrath towards sin has been appeased? Justice has been served. So is it a mercy and forgiveness meaning here? Or is it that the justice has been served, God is satisfied? Well, I, I looked into the context of 1 John and all these commentaries and, and commentators. I looked at John's other writings. I looked at how is this word used in the New Testament and beyond. And it's pretty clear to all the commentators and to me that you can't pick just one. We can't know that it means just one versus the other, but it can mean both. It can mean either. Which means that we have covering for our sins and justice has been appeased. Now, that's sobering to think about because, folks, what, what that means in the courtroom setting, the bridge is broken at both ends for a sinner. God has shut us out of heaven because of sin. He's a holy God. Sin cannot enter into heaven. The way is shut. But also on our end, our sin, our brokenness, our depravity keeps us from coming to God. It, it's wider than the Grand Canyon. We will never be able to reach God. We deserve punishment. So what's going to be done? God himself sent payment to cover our sins. He built the bridge. Do you see that? Jesus is the new bridge 
fixed by God. What we broke, he fixed because he's fully God. So on this side of the bridge, he fixed the holiness. He fixed the righteousness. We are unrighteous. We are unholy. We're never coming to God. Jesus said, I'm the holy one and I will walk towards you. I will walk down to earth. And God the Son took on human flesh to live that perfect life, to seal up the debt that we owe and could never pay. Then, when he came in flesh as man, he lived the perfect life and then offered up his life to pay for our sins, to pay the way so now we could walk in the light as he is in the light. He's fully God and fully man. So when people say, wow, what a mean, vindictive God. How could he kill his son? How could he pour out his wrath on Jesus? That's gross. That's a gross. That, that's not what it means. You misunderstand here. Jesus is fully God. So God poured out his wrath on God. The God man. It's not cruel. It's not a father being cruel to his son. It's not abusive. He has self-inflicted that one. So we could be healed. And in the gap between God and us is Jesus. Sin is that big of a deal. But I stand before you with the best news ever today. The gospel is good news for everyone and as long as we're still alive there's a bridge to god his name is jesus you simply must repent of your sins and trust him and you have instant access and fellowship with god and forgiveness of your sins it's not either or it's both jesus has made a way are you trusting in jesus as your bridge or have you also tried to build a bridge of good works because that's not going to cross the grand canyon that separates us from god only Jesus, because he's fully God, can reach all the way to us. And only Jesus, the perfect man, can reach all the way to God. So it's clear that those who are in Jesus have forgiveness. Also, those who reject Jesus are still in their sin and condemned. But here's an amazing truth, y'all. Jesus died not for our sins only, or in other words, he's not the propitiation for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does that mean? Some would say, oh, because Jesus died, he has forgiven everyone, and everyone is covered under his sacrifice, even if they don't put their faith in Jesus. Everyone's getting into heaven. There's no hell. There's only heaven. That's a twisting of the truth. That's not true. John has already made that clear in his gospel. In those passages I mentioned, John 3, John 5, those who do not believe in Jesus are still dead in their sins and are condemned. You can't cover that up. It's the truth. But it does mean that Jesus' sacrifice is powerful, so powerful that he's covered every sin, past, present, future, every bit of brokenness in the cosmos, he is sufficient to save all, to redeem all, to restore all. That's how you know he's cashed the check, or he will cash the check to bring a new heaven and new earth in. How can he make all things new? Because he has covered all things that are broken. 
So we can legitimately go to every person on the street, in the coffee shop, in our neighborhood, and say, if you repent today of your sins and trust in Jesus, you will be saved. It's a guarantee. The check's already there. Unlimited withdrawals. But will you actually believe? Will you actually make that gift effective for yourself? God's spirit is speaking. His word is speaking. But we must be receiving his gift is sufficient. Even the worst murderer, turn and repent. He will save you. Serial killers, child abductors, whatever your background, you turn and repent in Jesus, he will instantly save you because he is the power, for, the power of God for salvation, not you and me. It's not even the strength of our faith. Jesus said, you have faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed. That's enough. You trust in Jesus. Trust in that bridge. Today we have an advocate. So living hope. As we conclude our, our look at 1 John 2, 1-2, I hope that develops a hunger in you to study this book more and to know your God more and to, and to live out this gospel more. But as we conclude, notice that God is a bridge builder. He doesn't wait for the broken to come to him. He goes and finds them. He builds the bridge. And he's so gracious to do that. And the love of Jesus calls us to care for others in the same way. So who are you building a bridge with this week? Who are you sowing seeds of truth and kindness and love into? Who are you serving? What needy person are you reaching out to? What, what person struggling with doubts and fears are you encouraging to have faith? Uh, how are you using your social media to show people that, that God is approachable and loves them? Are we being a church on mission to build bridges in this community so that people can walk with God? We're here for a reason. And people will respond in faith. Jesus didn't die for no reason. But we must be obedient to the mission to share the gospel so that they can have fellowship with God. It's secure. There is a reality of sin, but Jesus is our advocate. And Jesus brings reconciliation to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this gift, this priceless gift that's ours in Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We have nothing and no one apart from you. And Lord, forgive us when we worry and when we fear, when we stray from you, when we don't listen to your word and we stumble off the path. Oh, God, we need you. We can't even walk that bridge apart from your grace and the power of your spirit holding on to us. So Lord, help us this week to take those steps of faith, to be obedient, to trust you, to fully rely on God in all things. And may that even take away our appetite for sin. We don't even want to sin. We don't even want to give into that because we are so satisfied with you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. Remind us we are covered today. And if there's anyone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, they're not saved. They don't believe that their sin is a big deal. Show them, God, the truth. Open up their eyes and their heart. And may they receive you as Savior and walk in the light with you. This we know. 
that you love us because you sent your son. Jesus, we love you. Help us to go and share the good news about you this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are going to think about what we've learned.